Let's get our Bibles out and open up to Isaiah chapter 28. Isaiah chapter 28, a well-known passage for a very good reason. So the title of this talk is Rest. Um, so Isaiah chapter 28 and verse 9. Isaiah 28 and verse 9. Whom shall he teach knowledge, and whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breasts. So people with a childlike attitude. And that's important if we're talking about rest. Okay. For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little. So that verse there embodies a time aspect of uh, a time associated with um, developing understanding. Verse 11, for with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people, to whom he said, this is the rest wherewith you may cause the weary to rest, and this is the refreshing, yet they would not hear. So we've got few verses there, wonderful prophecy of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, uh, stammering lips in another tongue, uh, will he speak to this people that uh, he wants to take uh, from the world uh, with a childlike attitude to teach slowly over time, precept upon precept, precept upon precept, uh, this people, and he said to this people that he's chosen, this is the rest, okay, uh, when you receive the Holy Spirit. But then there's this warning at the end of verse 12, and this is a warning that uh, uh, is for everyone, but um, we're talking here to spirit-filled people. The warning is, yet they would not hear. So it's so important for us to understand rest. It's so important that we grasp it um, and uh, and to hear and to learn and to understand uh, what it's all about. Um, we will go to Mark 16, which is um, what you may think is a peculiar place to go when we're talking about rest. But I'll, I'll make it happen. Mark 16 and verse 15. So this here, the last few words of uh, what Jesus said before he was taken up. So they've got to be important. Um, There are different accounts as to what he said in the Bible and uh, the book of Mark decided to pick on these words that Jesus said. So Mark 16 and verse 15, it says, And he, Jesus Christ, said unto them, his followers, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believes and is baptised shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Pretty clear, clear cut there. And these signs shall follow them that believe. <coughs> Excuse me. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And they went forth, his followers went forth, and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Amen. So it's a wonderful passage that we all love. 
You know, uh, there's a clarity here between who believes and who does not believe. Those that believe will be saved. Those that do not believe will be dead. But then what's wonderful is uh, he goes on and says, look, you'll be able to tell between the two groups. Those that uh, believe, there'll be signs that follow those who believe. These signs will not follow those that do not believe. We get it. It, We understand it after all these years of following the Lord and delving into the scriptures and things being explained to us. And those signs follow us. Now we're talking about rest. To fundamentally know as a baseline that we are believers because signs follow us. So we can rest in that. And then from that, we can build on that, saying, well, hey, look, we are believers. We can rest in the fact that we're saved. We're saved from this untoward generation, as it refers to elsewhere. You know, it says save yourselves. And so we're, we are saved from death. Um, we, we will be raised up. We can rest in that. And then the reason I read through to verse 20 is they went forth. His followers went forth. They were confident. Okay, they were confident to, uh, to preach the gospel wherever they went. They were at peace, at rest, that, hey, they can speak the words of God. Signs follow those who believe. And that's what I'm trying to do is encourage us all to dwell on these simple aspects so that we understand bit by bit what it means to be at rest. Let us hear. Take heed. And so then with that take heed, go to Hebrews chapter 4. It's an interesting little passage here. Hebrews chapter 4. And uh, if there's a book in the Bible that needs to explain what it means to be at rest, an Old Testament principle with the Sabbath and all those things, then Hebrews is a pretty good book. Hebrews chapter 4, and we'll start in verse 9. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. Okay? That's a fact. We are, if we are people of God, there is rest available to us. For he that has entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works, as God did from his. Let us labour, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even, even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So this passage follows an example of uh, people that were wandering through the wilderness and they didn't enter the rest. They fell by the wayside and died in the wilderness. So this example of unbelief. So there's another warning lest it, to us that we don't fall after the same example of unbelief. To understand rest, to learn about rest, And then, like it says in verse 11 at the start there, let us labour therefore to enter into that rest. Now that word labour comes from an aspect of being diligent or even um, to make haste. So let's be diligent and make haste to enter into that rest. Or like it's, it's, there's a sense of urgency that you get it. There's a sense of urgency that you understand that you've entered your rest. No longer struggling, we've ceased from our own works. And then, like this, the word of God, it goes on to verse 12, the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. 
And then at the end, a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The Spirit helps us, the intents of the heart, the thoughts, and so forth. The Spirit is powerful in that way, and that sharpen the two-edged sword. That's the Word, of course, and the, and the Spirit all intertwined to help us to have an understanding of what it means to enter our rest and to cease from our own works because it's a wonderful thing that the Lord has on offer. You know, um, this wonderful, in the, based on Old Testament <coughs> type, he set aside a wonderful land with houses already built, vineyards already planted, uh, orchards already done, there's, there's cattle in the fields, you know, um, uh, as it says, land of milk and honey. They just need to rock up, start eating, uh, live in the houses, make their own modifications. It's just, that's what the type is. And we are wandering to, in a way in the spiritual wilderness, but the Lord wants us to understand our rest now, that uh, we are in the kingdom of God now and understand that, that uh, we can uh, uh, feed on the good things of the Lord and be at rest knowing um, that we are saved, we are believers, we belong, you know, and uh, have that peace. Romans chapter 8. And the Lord wants us to understand it. Romans 8 and verse 24. Romans chapter 8 and verse 24. For we are saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it? Another aspect of rest. When you're at rest and at peace, you have patience. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. So there we go. We've got the Spirit to tap into. If we don't understand it or we're not at rest, we have the Spirit that helps our weaknesses. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered referring to tongues. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Now the will of God is that we enter our rest and we understand our rest. So the Spirit can make intercession according to the will of God to help us, verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. That's a source of peace and rest, that no matter what happens, all things work together for good. It's a good thing. To them who are the called according to his purpose, and that's us. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified and whom he justified, them he also glorified. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Right? So what a wonderful, there's wonderful aspects here that to help us to have confidence in God and to be at rest and to be at peace. We've got the Spirit makes intercession according to the will of God. Um, we have been predestinated. We've been called according to a purpose. Um, and 
justified, glorified. And if God be for us, who can be against us? Ah, praise the Lord. God's for us. Who can be against us? You know, we, we have him. We have a hope as well, teaching of patience. And uh, it's just a, a glorious little passage there of wonderful things. All things work together for good. It's a, it, it generates positive mindset here and peace. Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4 and uh, verse 11. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 11. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I've learnt, and you can just imagine Paul has learnt, over time, precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little, he's learnt. In whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. So even though in these different scenarios, he has learnt to be content, no matter which state he's in, whether he's in a state of abounding or a state of suffering and need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. And that there is an important aspect of rest, is to learn that no matter what state you're in, to be content. Um, it's just a wonderful place to be. And look, um, uh, people sitting here today, there are some that may not be content and others that may be. But even if you're not in a position of contentment at the moment, you can reflect on times when you were and you realise, yes, that's a good place to be. It's an internal thing. And, uh, and as you all know, um, we're all the same before the living God. And so reading scriptures, I'm standing here behind the lectern, you know, I'm preaching to me as well, you know. Um, I'm not immune to these things. Uh, like I said before, I'm a fly on the wall watching the Lord uh, preach to his assembly, uh, and I'm part of that assembly. So these things I need to learn over time, and uh, we all need to learn over time to uh, be content in no matter what state we're in. Um, no matter what it is. Like it doesn't say, uh, give any qualification there, it's regardless of what state you're in, regardless. I mean, all, what I could think of there was, uh, uh, was brought out at camp as well was um, Joseph. He was in prison. <laughs> and so no matter what state you're in, learn to be content um, and to be at rest and peace. Um, 2 Timothy chapter 6. 2 Timothy chapter 6. We'll get into a bit more um, nuts and bolts. First Timothy chapter 6, thank you. My Bible has six chapters in Second Timothy. Well, you've got a different version, do you? First Timothy chapter 6 uh, and verse 3. So that's First Timothy chapter 6 and we'll start in verse 3. 
If any teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, they're pretty wholesome words, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, which is um, arguments, evil surmisings or suspicions, perverse disputings of men, of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. But godliness with contentment is great gain. So it says there, these people that are perverse disputings and doting about questions, they suppose that gain is godliness. And then straight away, Paul writes, but godliness with contentment is great gain using the same word. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. So those that are rich um, can't help but desire more or do more, and, uh, and it can be a hurtful uh, lust if, it, if it's not managed. Verse 10, For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. So here, I'm kind of moving into this aspect of um, acquiring things and wealth and so forth. And what, what Paul's saying is, look, godliness with contentment is great gain. Regardless of what you got, whether you're in a position of abundance or whether you're in a position of need, to have godliness and contentment is the great gain, the, the wonderful uh, true wealth, uh, the true spiritual riches, um, and, uh, and that, whole, that aspect of uh, halfway through t- verse 10, which, which while some coveted after, you know, uh, that word covetousness. Um, and so to draw back from that and to have that contentment and that rest because what's covetousness? You're, you're constantly searching for more things. You want uh, something that someone else has got. Uh, you're not at rest. Covetousness does not equal rest. Uh, rest is the opposite, content with what you got. You know, uh, learning that uh, even though you see the neighbour with something or your friend with something, it's like, no, it's all right. I'm happy to wait, you know, or I don't need that or whatever. It's a, it's a wonderful place to be in. And, uh, you know, we, we're here in uh, Western Australia today and uh, there is great wealth. There's no doubt about it. And, um, and it's something that uh, we can get caught up into. We all can. We're all people. We all have in the past. Um, and so uh, it's this thing, this aspect that can take away from our rest. Uh, it takes away from our focus of what's truly important and what is, uh, what is the, the most precious thing. 
Luke chapter 12. I just want to read one verse in Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12 and verse 15. It's Jesus Christ speaking here. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 15, it says, And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. Okay? Uh, There's more to life than an abundance of things. We know that. We know that uh, uh, in our minds. We know it practically. We get it. But it's interesting how uh, these words are so uh, forceful from, from Jesus. Beware of covetousness or be aware of covetousness. You know, um, when, when you see it uh, in your life, oh, okay, I want, it's not a, it's not a source of rest. Um, and that's Jesus Christ speaking himself. So uh, we'll go to Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13. And the world we live in today um, is, there's so much covetousness, isn't there? Um, and we are trained to be that way as well. Uh, we grew up in this world, we're human beings in this world, so we've been trained to think that way as well. But the Lord wants us, no, nah, step back from that. I want to give you a true rest. You know, and it's not uh, through this thing that is taught by the world. Hebrews 13 and verse 5. So Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5. Let your conversation be, or your, um, your actions as well, like your whole life, really, uh, what you do, what you say. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he hath said, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. So there's a wonderful little flow on there. Okay, it flows on from what Jesus said, you know, uh, don't uh, act with uh, motivation toward covetousness, be content with such things you, as you have. And the reason being is that God himself says, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. Okay, he'll never leave us. So be at rest with that. It's a fact. It's fundamental. It's a part of that rock that we build our life on. He will never leave us. Be at rest in that thing. And then as a result of knowing that and trusting in him that uh, he wants us to be content with food and clothing, to go on our life serving him, as a result of experiences and so forth and realising and learning about rest and what it means and how it can really add to our lives, from that we can boldly say, the Lord's my helper. He came through yet again. And that's why people, when they give their testimony, they start their um, testimony with things like, I've got so much to praise the Lord about. Because we realise he's my helper. I can boldly say, and I won't fear what man shall do unto me. Man is training us to be covetous, to take away our rest. So we, are, we reject that and we can boldly say, the Lord is my helper. We don't need to look to worldly things. Um, we don't need to 
to be consumed by those things because the Lord is my helper and I will not fear. So we will go to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter uh, 2 and 3 covers the, uh, the seven churches, which are uh, epochs, really, epochs of time, time slabs from, um, well, basically from when the Revelation was given, which was about 100 or 90 AD. And, uh, and we will start in verse 14, which is the, the church of the Laodiceans. And it's the last church. So if these seven churches cover different phases or time periods, epochs, then Laodicean church, we understand, is our time. The, the prophecy given to the Laodicean church applies to today. And uh, so we'll read it, Revelation chapter 3 and verse 14. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things Save Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot, or I, I wish you were cold or hot. And I was just thinking then when I was reading that, the Lord would rather we were cold or hot. Why is that? You got clarity then, don't you? Unbeliever. Believer, there's clarity, cold or hot. He would rather there was clarity there. Uh, there was um, certainty. Um, verse 16. So then, because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I'll spew thee out of my mouth. So we pretend to be religious or we pretend to follow God, you know, but uh, we're, we're really not um, Spew thee out of my mouth. Verse 17. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. What a wonderful statement of today. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable. Wretched and miserable spiritually. You know, that true riches that he wants to give us is a spiritual riches. And poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that uh, clean uh, robe of righteousness, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, so that you see clearly. You know, and when, when you think about like um, how Jesus says that uh, they all have eyes but cannot see, you know, let us have eyes that can see, that can understand, that has learnt, here a little, there a little, that thou may see. Verse 19, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. And we heard a great talk at camp about being disciplined, you know, told off. <laughs> it was funny, he introduced the talk saying, I'm going to talk about being disciplined, but not being disciplined. <laughs> so, what? okay, so yeah, he's talking about being told off, not actually leading a disciplined life. Uh, so he lo God loves us by when he rebukes and chastens us. He cares for us. He wants to guide us. Um, be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. 
To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame, and am set down with my Father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. So it's it, on the surface that it's fairly damning what he writes to the Laodicean church or to the to people today. But then it's got a wonderful conclusion. It's well, get your priorities right. Learn about this rest. You know, be content with what such things you have. Reject covetousness. Uh, you don't need an increase of goods, but uh, be clothed in the Spirit, the true riches. Uh, looking to God, and then then he stands at the door and knocks, and if you open it, he'll be there. We can be confident in that, and, and, and we'll sup together. And if we overcome, he'll grant, to sit with, uh, grant us to sit with him in this throne. What a wonderful confidence we ha- can have if we overcome and look to him even though we live in a world that's surrounded by uh, religious lukewarmness, you know, um, that, that through learning we can understand what is lukewarm and we kind of want to spew it out as well um, because we're godlike in that way. So we learn these things and it's a great promise that uh, we keep our salvation, we are believers, we are saved and uh, that he'll never leave us nor forsake us and that we belong. We have this wonderful um, uh, sense of belonging. Penultimate scripture, John chapter 10. John chapter 10. And verse 1. John chapter 10 and verse 1. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice. And he called his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. This parable spake Jesus unto them, but they understood not what things they were which he spake unto them. Then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved, and shall go in and out, and find pasture. The thief cometh not, but for to steal, and to kill, and to destroy. I am come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is a hireling, and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, Seeth the wolf coming, and leaveth the sheep, and fleeth, and the wolf catcheth them, and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth, because he is a hireling, and careth not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and know my sheep, and am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. 
and other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Therefore doth my father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my father. So I read that, I read the parable and the explanation of the parable that Jesus Christ is the good shepherd. He's the door, as well as the good shepherd, into the sheep fold. And it says there so well that he leads his sheep in and out to find good pasture. Now, I'm talking about rest today. So if we are his sheep and we trust him and we move with him uh, as we're being led out and led in, like a, uh, a sheep does uh, in the natural with a shepherd that it knows, follows it. doesn't know where the shepherd's guiding you. The sheep just follows. Um, just, I mean, it didn't happen much when I was growing up, but I remember uh, a neighbour, I used to see every now and again, they'd be in a ute and the whole flock of sheep are following the ute. I'd say, Dad, why do they do that? Just, but it, the sheep knew to follow the ute. Turns out they are better followers than leaders, so, uh, so they had a better job at getting it through gates and all that sort of stuff than we did. But the sheep knew, they just dumbly followed. I mean, that's a strong term, they dumbly followed the, the shepherd because they knew the shepherd would guide them to food and uh, water and, and sustenance and protection. And, that's, and even, even, like they trusted the shepherd to do that. And even if the shepherd didn't do it, they were hungry and they were weak. They'd still follow the shepherd. But what's Jesus Christ? He's the good shepherd. He's not going to leave us destitute, weak, hungry. And so for us to dumbly follow him without thinking and worrying, isn't that rest? Like if we're thinking and worrying uh, about, oh, wait a minute, why is Jesus leading me here? I want that. Ah, I can't have that. Where's your rest? You know, oh, is this where the Lord wants me to go? I mean, this can be uh, figuratively as well. It doesn't necessarily mean places, you know, uh, like looking to him and guidance and revelations and all these things and whatever. Um, it can be all sorts of things, you know, let your mind wander, but we follow him and we're at rest in that way because we're not thinking of other things. Um. We need to cut our head off, don't we? <laughs> Just gets in the way. <laughs> we'll think with our big toes, shall we? That might be a bit easier. Um, so, yeah, and that is rest, wonderful rest. When we realise that we are God's sheep and he is the good shepherd, he's not going to neglect us. Uh, draw back on your own experiences and see yourselves. Finish up in Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. And this passage, I've read a lot, and, and this passage I think we're always learning about. Um, so I'll read, I'll read the passage. <laughs> uh, Matthew 11 and verse 28. So Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28. Come unto me, all ye that labour and are heavy laden, 
all your worries and concerns and uh, all sorts of things, your desires to be doing other things or being other places or um, distractions, uh, if, if your lack of contentment in your workplace or whatever, things. Heavy laden and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So Jesus Christ himself here says, he's the son of the living God, he's God in the flesh. Uh, it says elsewhere that uh, he could call upon a legion of angels to help him. And he still says that he's meek and lowly of heart as a wonderful example. And it's, it's funny, sometimes, you know, I'm leading my life and then I realise I'm carrying a burden. <laughs> I didn't even notice that. Didn't even realise. And the Lord wants to take that burden away. Wants us to be free of that burden, that we can have rest and we can learn about that rest. And I bet in uh, some period of time I'll realise I'm carrying another burden. That I didn't even know what I'd been carrying my whole time. Uh, just learning these things because it's such a wonderful passage here that through meekness, through lowly in heart, you know, that, uh, that faith in following the Good Shepherd, that we can learn about rest. And as we read in Hebrews, it's so important that we understand that rest, that we're trusting the living God. Make haste, do it diligently to learn. And, uh, and coming here today, fellowship, reading the Bible, praying and so forth, focusing on the things of the Lord, speaking about the gospel, whenever uh, you get an opportunity, you know, you learn more and more and more and it gives you more confidence in the Lord to, uh, to let us learn about that rest. Okay, thank you.